Well, good morning. It's good to be here with y'all this morning. I'm going to level with you. Um, I'm not used to the crowd that I'm speaking to at this hour being as awake as y'all are. I'm usually with the high school students, and uh, their the common response for them is, I'm tired this morning. And so it's good to be here with y'all uh, up. And of course, the extra hour of sleep last night helped, I understand. Just, just straight out of the gate this morning, I want to I want, to, I want to come with a confession. Well, more transparency in my own life. It's not really a confession. Some of y'all know me. You know my story. Some of y'all don't understand. Um, but it's, it's an issue that I need to deal with. I need to just speak out to everyone and just be honest with. Um, here's the main thing. I live in a house full of women. I, uh, I have a beautiful, wonderful wife. We've been married 13 years. Um, I have two sweet as anything daughters, six and four. And well, I'm a guy's guy. I'm going to be very stereotypical this morning, so just hang with me. That's not my, my, not my focus, but I'm a guy's guy. I like watching the game. I like watching action movies. I like getting dirty. Uh, I'm, I'm okay with guy things, okay? And, uh, and I realize there's a lot of women out there that are okay with those things too, and, and there are a lot of other guys that are okay with other things. But I consider myself to just like guy things as the, the stereotypical thing goes. And meanwhile, I'm surrounded by dresses, bows, Jewels, princess stuff, dolls, ballerinas, fairies, tutus, shoes, pastel colors. There are times that I feel like I am closer to understanding the dog than my wife and daughters. And, and by the way, the dog is female too. In fact, the other night I stepped out of the shower and nearly broke my foot or my neck, depending on how you look at it, uh, stepping on a purple and pink teacup on my bathroom floor. Now, like I said, I'm not, I'm not stereotyping. In fact, in fact, really what I want to say is I want my girls to be girls. I really do. I want them to be girls. I am glad they're girls. But I want my girls to be girls that honor the king. I want my girls to glorify God in their girliness. I'm concerned about a culture that says beautiful looks a certain way. I'm concerned about an entitlement culture that comes with the princess mentality. I can have whatever I want, whenever I want, whatever way I want. And scripture promises us not really much of anything in terms of material goods. And so I'm concerned about multiple things that enter into the mind of a girl when they're growing up. And I struggle with that. Because I want girly girls, and I'm cool with girly girls, I really am. But I want them to be girly girls that, that bring glory and honor to God. And so if there's something in the girly culture that's great for them, then I'm fine with it. But when it is contrary to Scripture, I want them to make the adjustment. And I want them to, to be right according to Scripture. And so I feel like frequently, and we haven't hit a lot of it yet in my house, but I want to combat that culture. I want to engage that culture when those things come in and change the minds to the right thing. Culture isn't totally wrong, and I'm okay with that, but there's some things that come along that just aren't right. And so I want to be able to tackle those things. I want to be able to engage a culture right where we are when those things come into play. And I want to make one thing clear as we start off this morning. As I'm talking about culture, I mean your culture, your corner of the universe, where you are. Now, we can talk about greater culture, but that's not really my focus this morning. It is where you are, your little corner where God has you, and God has you there for a reason. 
What does it look like to be, you know, to engage the culture in your neighborhood, at your home, in your home, in your city, in the places where you go? What does that look like? What does it mean to make a difference with the gospel? In case you haven't noticed, not everybody around you believes the same thing that we do. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. How do we address the gospel with our neighbors, with the parents of our kids, friends, your city softball team, your coworkers, the people you see every single day, for a lot of us for a fam- with a family member? What does it look like to engage with the gospel, to share with them the hope and the love and the peace and the joy of Christ? So we want to talk about addressing the culture this morning. What does it look like? And we're going to look at Acts chapter 17, really simple. The way Paul handled himself when he was in a place he didn't even necessarily intend to be. And, and let's just look at it. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse, or Acts 17, starting verse 16 this morning. Now when Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. Now we're going to pause right there because there's several things that jump out of the page. First of all, Paul was waiting in Athens. He was on his missionary journey. He was waiting. He was in a holding pattern, waiting for Timothy and Silas who were coming to meet him. And they were coming to meet him, and so he was just kind of hanging around. And so as he was there, he started participating. He got engaged. So the second thing we got to, that jumps out is that while he was waiting, he was engaged. See, he couldn't have seen a city full of idols unless he was out observing the city. Unless he was walking around, seeing what was available, seeing what was going on, seeing what the world looked like around him. And the third thing that kind of jumps out is really simple. Oh, by the way, yeah. He was in this city. He was walking around. He wasn't hanged, holed up in his hotel room watching HBO. Okay? He was around. He was checking things out. Paul was getting his, uh, uh, God was getting Paul's attention too. As Paul was looking around, as Paul was uh, um, seeing what the city had to offer, he was listening to what God was doing in his heart. It said his spirit was being provoked within him. God was, God was grabbing his attention. Paul had a heart for people, and there were people around him that were in need. He had his eyes open as he went. So there was an opportunity for Paul to engage the culture he'd been thrust in. And he was, as he was engaging the culture, he was aware of the need around him. See, if we're engaging the culture, we must be aware of the need around each and every one of us. I wonder, too... Sometimes this happens. If we complain about injustices or things that are wrong with the, in the culture, and it just isn't right, instead of looking at what lies beneath it. How can God answer those questions? See, we point out or even complain about the bad things that happen in culture. We shun the, the ugly. And don't get me wrong, I don't think we should be negatively influenced by those things in culture that come along. But how often do we stop long enough to look and see, hey, there's a need that causes that. Someone is in need, and they're driven by the wrong thing to do something crazy. See, so many times in our culture, we see things that are just out of whack, and, and, and it's true. But there's people in need that are doing something trying to fill those needs. And so a lot of times what we do is we run from those challenges, we run from those difficulties, we shun those difficulties instead of stopping long enough to see the needs and saying, what's going on in their life that would make them act that way? What's going on at this deeper level with these people? Paul didn't forget why he was in Athens, even if he didn't originally plan to be there. He didn't get distracted. See, sharing the gospel was constantly on Paul's mind. He was always all about that. And he saw a need. He saw these idols. And a good and bad came from this. He saw idols. That's bad. 
I agree. But what was interesting to me is as he saw these things, there was a desire of these people to worship something. They got some part of it right. There was a good there. They wanted to worship something. There was something in their heart, a yearning in their heart to worship. He was aware of that need. A couple of months ago, I was at a place of intensely deep spiritual development. I was at the gym. And I was, I was on the treadmill. And as I was there on the, at the gym on the treadmill, I was listening to a, a, a musician, an artist. Um, it was just fun music to kind of keep me going while I was running. It was, uh, it was just upbeat. Uh, honestly, it wasn't Christian music. And, and so I was, as I'm running along, I, for the first time, really started listening to these lyrics. And listening to a guy, and while the music was upbeat, very positive sounding, there's a story of a guy who was struggling He was struggling with acceptance. He was struggling with some loss in his life. He was struggling with some problems that he had, and he didn't have an outlet for it. He didn't have an answer. And for the first time as I listened to this music, I was aware of a need that was deeper than some things that he was talking about. It was a deeper need. Now I realize I'm probably never going to meet this guy. I'll pray that I do. But as I thought through it, it's like if I ever got the opportunity The gospel answers the questions he's asking. God has answers for the things that he has struggles with. And my prayer is that someday somebody would get a chance to speak to him about these things. And acknowledge the need, the crying out that he was doing in his music. And saying, here's what's going on. Here's how the gospel can help. Here's how the truth of God's word is an answer to your struggles. I think of another example, my daughter last year, uh, my six-year-old, she made friends with a, dare I say, questionable character in her class. And what was interesting is that we kind of were, you know, a little leery of this. We were kind of a little concerned about this friendship she'd made and some of the decisions that were coming out of this girl. But as time went on, my wife got a chance to meet this girl's mom and got to see the needs that were going on in this family's house. And boy, it changed everything. The behavior was not the issue anymore. The deeper level, the needs, the concerns in this girl's life were what we got, began to focus on. How can we help? What are the things that we can do? And we started thinking, hey, we want to be praying for her and what's going on because we were aware of the needs for the first time. Look, there's a need to challenge the culture where things aren't right. There's a need to jump in there and say, hey, there's a problem here. I challenge you to make a study of the people around you. See what it is that makes them do what they do. There's there's usually a reason, especially in your little world, at your workplace, at your job, in your neighborhood, the people that act way that different from the way you would act. There's a reason that motivates them. There's a need there. Have a heart for people like Paul did. Now, I know we forget, but I'll remind you, you are where you are for a reason. And God has given you the experiences he's given you for a reason. And there's a purpose in that. Paul lived the life he lived. Now granted, he was a missionary. He was there as a missionary. He traveled. But what really drove Paul, the core of what drove Paul, was his heart that God had changed. It made him different. He was different as a result of what God had done in his life. And he was willing to do anything, including being tortured and die, to tell others about the gospel. To tell others about what God had done. And so as he was aware of the needs, he was aware of somebody in need. See, seeing needs stems from a a God-given heart from others. That didn't happen by accident. 
And when we see needs, we, we, we want to, to love others, but that comes from God. And where that ultimately comes from is God changing your own heart. When God has changed your heart, you want to see others' heart change as well. Not out of guilt, not because we're supposed to, but because we just have a heart for, for others because God has given us a heart for others because he's changed our own heart. If we're engaging the culture, we must be aware, aware of the needs around us and how God's truth answers those needs. Let's go back to the story of Paul. Verse 17. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he is preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that, uh, which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. So we want to know what these things mean. Paul goes to Athens. He engages his culture. Now, I have to confess my history nerddom. I, uh, I love pretty much all things history. And when I picture Athens, I picture these tall columns like pillars sticking up out of the ground. I picture groups of people walking around, gray beards, big thick gray beards, wearing togas, people falling around, talking philosophy, sharing crazy ideas. And, and, and this is my picture. Now, I realized that, the, that that time period in Athens had passed. Rome ruled Greece at this point. Things had changed. And so Paul was in a, in a new era of Athens. Verse 21, now all the Athenians and strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. Okay, so maybe my imagery isn't too far off. The Athenians still like philosophy. They still like to talk about things. And I love the fact that Paul was engaged. Paul was he was out there. He was, in, it was among the people. He was talking about Jesus and the resurrection. He engaged the culture. First thing that jumps out at me on this is, for, bottom line, when we engage the culture, when we talk about the things in our world, the gospel holds up. It can be reasoned. It can be talked about. It can, it can be involved in a discussion, a philosophical discussion. Paul was engaged with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. The gospel holds up. And the second thing that jumps out at me at this is that Paul knew what he was talking about. He knew the truth. He was steadfast. He studied it. He was able to reason with them. He talked about Jesus and the resurrection. He got their attention. They were listening to him. He was reasoning with them. He wasn't hitting him over the head, and he wasn't letting his good works show what he believed, but never opening his mouth. It was part of a conversation. He was telling them what God had done in their life. He was telling them what God had done about Jesus and the resurrection. He got their attention. He was taking advantage of the opportunity, but he was speaking the truth. If we're engaging the culture, we need to see the need, and we need to be speaking the truth that God, of what God has done. Now, I know many of you have heard of Matthew 28, and I know many of you know this. In Matthew 28, where Jesus says to his disciples, go and make disciples. He says, go and make disciples. The key verb in that is not go. The key verb, the main verb, is make disciples. And in fact, go can be translated as you're going or while you go. In other words, as you're doing your thing, as you're being the person that God has called you to be, make disciples. Make that your business. 
And that could be wherever you are, whatever you're doing, but make disciples with those around you. And I'm fully aware of the quote that says, preach the gospel, and if you have to, use words. I've quoted Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Many, many times. Paul's life reflected his devotion to his Savior. His actions matched his words. But the thing about it is, his actions matched his words. He had words. He was speaking the truth. He was involving himself. He was discussing things. He was in the marketplace. He was reasoning with them. He was talking about Jesus and the resurrection. They were engaging the culture. We need to be speaking about what God has done. Paul was in the middle of things. And I think too often Christians disengage. They don't participate in those discussions that are going on in the little corner of the universe, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your neighbors, with your friends, with the people you're involved with. Christians disengage out of laziness, out of ignorance, out of fear. I'm not sure why. But instead, they need to be in the discussion just like Paul was. Tell them the truth about what God has done. I, uh, I have to brag on it, but my high school students, um, a lot of them are in public schools. A lot of them have jobs in public places. They're engaged. And what I love about it is there's a number of them um, that I just picture parts of their world as their own little Athens. Parts of their world where they're just engaging in conversation. They're reasoning with their friends. They're reasoning with their coworkers. I know one student I know, I know for, for sure who has spent time, and he's, he's made it a point to ask the people around him what they think about God. Hey, what do you think about God? And then go from there and let the conversation go the way it happens. He's taking advantage of the opportunities. He's creating those opportunities, but he's speaking the truth about what God has done. Where are those opportunities for us? Kids' sports practice, meeting other families at a school event, going to lunch with a coworker or a classmate or a friend, where are those opportunities? Around the water cooler, in the boardroom where those opportunities present themselves? Neighborhood block party? What is it we're talking about? What are the things that we're discussing? Is it the big game last night? Is it the new shoes we bought? Both those things are fine discussion, by the way. But when does the conversation go deeper? Are we having real conversations about how God has changed our life? If we're engaged in the culture, we need to be speaking the truth of what God has done. And here's another thing. Paul had developed some credibility. Now, I'm speculating just a bit here, but I'm pretty sure if he'd been a jerk about what he was saying or pushy or arrogant, they might not have listened to him. And Paul was occasionally pushy and arrogant. But, the, but because of the way he reasoned with them, because of the way he discussed, because of the things that he was saying, he had some merit so he was reasoning with him, he was talking to him, and they wanted to hear more. They'd gotten some, he had gotten their attention. He said, you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Tell us what you mean. So they asked Paul to go to, the, to kind of the public forum. They head to the public forum. And the Areopagus was a place where they would just bring ideas, they would discuss, it was debate, gave people a chance to speak. Um, the picture of Athens maybe that I had was not too far off again. He got their attention. And so they said, hey, come talk more. Let's discuss this more. Verse 22, so Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar to this, with this inscription, to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. 
back to the idols. We go back to where this whole thing started, and Paul starts his message. He's speaking to a group of people, and they say, speak to us. Tell us what you have to say. Tell us what it is you believe. And so he starts, he grabs onto this idea of an unknown God. He's right back to the starting point of what got him in this situation that his heart had been provoked. This this unknown God was unknown to the people of Athens. It was obvious. They worshiped all kinds of things. They had idols all over the city. But he opens his message. You are religious. I've seen what you try to worship. You've got kind of right in that you want to worship. But you've got it all wrong in what you're worshiping. Let me help you. If we're engaged in the culture, we have to keep our eyes open for opportunity. Something to latch onto. Something to grab onto. Something that we can talk about that is a connection point to their world and ours. The needs of those around us and the way that gospel answers those. The way the truth of God's word connects with their lives. Paul tells it this way, but he shares his gospel. He does it his own way, but he shares the gospel. We have to keep our eyes open for opportunity. We will get an opportunity to tell them the truth. That opportunity will come. What's the thing that challenges you in your culture? Who is the person? Who are the two or three people that you say, okay, this is a person I need to challenge their way of thinking. It's off a little bit. And I want to get in their world. I want to see their need and I want to help them. Where are they off? And what are, the, what are the ways that we can get that conversation back around to the gospel? What are the ways that can get the conversation back around to the truth of God's word as we're talking through it? Is it a TV or a movie hero character? Is it a song lyric? Is it a news story? Is it a current event? Is it a viewpoint on God? Is it a viewpoint on the church? What is it that brings that conversation back to the truth? It's kind of like, it's like Paul did. It's like, yeah, you're kind of right. You're worshiping but you're worshiping the wrong thing. You're all off. Let me help you with this. And what people we know have similar viewpoints. What is that thing you can latch onto? What is that opportunity? What is that thing that you can grab onto in conversation and steer the conversation the right direction? And I think about it too. It may not be just the conversation. It may be a lifestyle. It may be a decision you make of something you're going to do or not going to do that grabs their attention. And then the opportunity still will come. I can remember it pretty vividly. I was, uh, I was in eighth grade. And I was there um, before school. Bell had not rung. We were just waiting for class to start. I'm sitting on the steps of our cafetorium. And, and I can remember sitting there. I was wearing a pair of high tops, jean jacket, just as awkward as ever. Some things haven't changed. And my buddy, my buddy Marty was immediately to my left. And as we were sitting there, we, we, we weren't really awake. We hadn't really woken up yet. We still had first period math to sleep through before our day would really begin. And I remember looking down, and I can hear his voice in my ear just as clearly as if it just happened. And Marty says to me, Tim, why don't you cuss? Now, as I stand here, I would love to tell you that my answer was something like this. Well, because I'm a follower of Christ who gave his life for me. He died on a cross. He died a death that I deserved so that I could have life through his resurrection and that I could have a relationship with a holy God in heaven, a holy God that wants me too to be holy. And so my, my ver- words that come out of my mouth reflect that holiness that I'm trying to be. I'd love to tell you I said that. What actually came out of my mouth was probably something a little like, well, 
Um, <laughs> but I want you to understand that was a defining moment in my life <laughs> because we have opportunities. God gives us opportunities. We can seek them out in conversation. I know many of you have been in a situation where you're talking and you realize this is an opportunity. I just haven't gotten this, this conversation steered the right direction. And sometimes you've just gotten them out of the blue where God said, here, have this one. To share the truth of God's word, to share the love of Christ with someone else. And I'll tell you this too, every single time I've prayed that God would give me an opportunity to share the gospel, he's answered that prayer with a yes. Now it has not always come the way I thought it would, and I have not always handled it real well, I just shared that story. But every time I've asked for it, he's given that opportunity. Paul continues, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath, breath and all things, he has made from one man every, every nation of mankind to live on the face of all the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation. Paul talks about a creator. He's holy and complete. He doesn't need us. But he's reached out to us. He was a plan. He had a plan. He was involved in the people's purpose. He was connected in their lives. He was in control of them. He shares the truth about God. Verse 27. That they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being that the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. He continues, he says, people are made by him. We belong to him. We long to worship him. We are reaching out to him. You've got the worshiping thing way wrong. He's not made by human hands. It's the other way around. It's the truth about us. And there's a need for more. Verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. There's a need for repentance, a rejection of him. He mentions sin. He mentions judgment. Oh, by the way, he mentions Jesus. Life, victorious over death. He gets it all in there. And he explains, starting from that connection point, of you are searching for something, you're worshiping the wrong thing, and that God is way bigger than you're giving him credit. But he wants a relationship with you. And we need to repent and have a relationship with him. Paul says, God is knowable. We are his offspring. Even your poets have that part of the story, right? We belong to him. And he says, worship the one true God, the one who, is created, who created you, and he'll be the judge. And he conquered the grave. He gave a picture of who God is, his power, his creation, his righteousness. He gave a picture of who man is, his sin, his need for a savior. Paul was good. 
This wasn't his first rodeo. In fact, Michael Loudermilk would say that he was the Michael Jordan of missionaries. If we are engaging our culture, there will be a confrontation. There will be a moment where God will say, or will, there'll be a moment where we get to speak the truth. God will give us an opportunity, whatever that form that comes, and then we get the chance to speak the truth. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. It doesn't have to be an angry thing. It can be. It sometimes is. I'm not going to lie. But that's not the point. It's a confrontation. It's an opportunity to speak the truth. It's an opportunity to be real. It's an opportunity to tell someone of their need for the gospel, the need for Christ and what he did on the cross. The sin in their life, a holy God, and a Savior to fix the problem. And there's going to be a moment of truth, a confrontation moment. It doesn't have to be ugly. As Paul, he reasoned with them. But when the time came, he took the opportunity. He shared the truth. And the opportunity presented himself, and he took it. He got to share what God had done. Now look at the rest of the story, because I love this. Verse 32, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, three things, some began to sneer, others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. Now there's a third group we'll talk about in a minute. But there's, there's two people that were hit on this part here. Some began to sneer. He talked about resurrection of the dead? I'm done with him. I don't want to hear any more than he has to say. We're We're done. And here's, here's the truth. If it's a coworker, a classmate, somebody in your neighborhood, a friend you've known for years, prob- probably for many of us a family member, when you share the truth with them, when you have that moment of confrontation where the, everything comes out, you get to share everything it is you believe, you get to tell them where they've been wrong and how they can adjust that according to the Scripture, they may look at you and think you're crazy in the head. They may look at you and say, I don't believe that. I don't want any part of that. I'm sneering. I'm out. That's a problem for me. I don't want that. And I want to encourage you with this. God is the one that works in their hearts. God is the one that changes lives. We have a responsibility to speak the truth. And so we have to take those opportunities. And there will be moments where that truth comes out. It's just dumped out. Whether or not they change, that's on them. I know our heart for a lot of them is we want them to change. Look at the second group. We shall hear you again concerning this. Into verse 32. We shall hear you again concerning this. They wanted to know more. They were interested. Something about this sounds really interesting. I want to know more about it. There's more time for discussion. There's people like that too that have said, okay, I'm hearing part of what you're saying, but I'm still getting used to this idea. Let's talk more. And for a lot of us, we have that opportunity too. It's an ongoing discussion with our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, the people that we know that we've been in life with, we've been doing life with for years. That conversation continue. My prayer is that that conversation can continue until they realize they become like the third group. Verse 34. But some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Marius, and others with them. God used Paul in a foreign place. And remember, it wasn't even necessarily on Paul's schedule. And he was able to impact the culture where he was. Some joined him and believed. Was it worth it? 
Absolutely. A lot of them sneered. A lot of them wanted to know more. But some joined him and believed. Some said, that, I want that. My prayer for all of us as those opportunities come, is that moment of confrontation, that moment where we could speak the truth comes, that the person we're talking to or persons would say, yes, I need Christ in my life. And here's the fact. God may never call you to stand on a street corner and preach. Maybe he will. Who knows? But as you go, see a need. Look for opportunities to speak the truth. Be ready for that confrontation moment and preach the message every day. Let God work on their hearts. But what is it the message that you would be preaching? Where is that message to be preached? Is it in a classroom, a workplace, a backyard with neighbors, maybe a front yard with neighbors, sporting event in your own living room? I know the event coming up here is Billy Graham Crusade, My Hope America, where you're going to invite your friends into your living room. You watch a video, you share the truth. You share what God has done in your own life. See, we all have something to share because God has done something. And he's done something in each one of our lives. And I'll be honest, like I said a minute ago, for a lot of us, our message is cumulative. It's, it's a little bit at a time. We get to share it. Maybe we talk about sin one day, the holiness of God another day. Maybe we get to talk about what God has done in his love for us weeks later. And it's a one-on-one or a one-on-a-few situation. But if we're paying attention, if we're keeping our eyes open, those opportunities are there, and we get to reason with them, we get to preach the message, we get to share the truth of what God has done. Tell, him what he's, tell them what he's done in your life. Maybe he's ended addiction. Tell him how he's given you life when previously you had none. Maybe, maybe he gave you peace when you couldn't sleep at night, or joy through a pain. What has Christ done in your life? Preach the message. Share with those around you. Change the culture. Meet them where they are. Because the gospel does that. As we transition to the Lord's table this morning, I just want to challenge you to be thinking about that because I know the communion time is a time where we are just thinking over what God has done. And that's corporately in that the person of Christ, what God has done, and how he is. He's given his life. He gave his life on the cross. His body was broken. His blood was spilled. He took on the death of a criminal, a death each and every one of us deserved. And he gave his life so that we can have a relationship with a holy God through faith in him. And so as we come to the table this morning, I want to challenge you to be thinking through, it's a time of reflection. What has God done in your own life? That you have a story to tell, a message to preach. Because that is what communion is all about, is remembering what God has done for us and remembering the life that he's given us and celebrating who he is. Men, if you please come forward.
on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for, for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the bread, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you do it in remembrance of me. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we worship you this morning. And we thank you for what you've done for us. And Lord, we acknowledge that we have not done it right. And we pray for your forgiveness. And we thank you for the life that we have in Christ. And I pray for every heart in here, Lord, that we would recognize that it is in you that we do move and live. And Father, I pray for any hearts in here that do not know you, Lord, that that would change here this morning. And Lord, we thank you for the blessing it is to come to your table and remember what you've done for us. And we thank you for an opportunity to worship you and to see others and worship you together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. And just a blessing it is to, to come into your throne room and worship you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you this morning. There'll be uh, those with us after the service that if you need prayer, uh, please come up. Uh, otherwise, thank you so much.